We are in, still in our series on 1 Corinthians, the first letter or epistle of Paul to the believers in Corinth nearly 2,000 years ago. Why in the world are we in September 2023, in the 21st century, why are we studying the book of or the letter of 1 Corinthians? What is the point? Okay, so let's, um, let's try and, and understand why it is we're doing that. So there was a church in Corinth. Corinth is in, or was in Greece. Okay, of course the church in Corinth did not look like this. They probably just met in their homes. And that's what the characteristic of the early church was. They didn't have a building. They would meet in what they call house fellowships. But you and I know that the church by definition is composed of people who are called out of the world. Okay, so these are People, you and me, were called out of the world to make a difference, to live life differently than the rest of the world. The question is, are we providing that contrast in our daily lives? Again, we said that the church is not a building. The church is, after all, people. But we also know that the world is also composed of people. Earth is a planet, but the world is people. And again, the question is, are we as God's people providing any form of contrast to the rest of the world in our daily lives or are we simply blending in? In other words, are we secret agent Christians? Halataba, that we are God's people or no? Or if somebody learned, you know, like from our office, if they learned that we are followers of Jesus, would they say, oh, okay, I didn't know that. It doesn't show. So that's why we're reading or studying Paul's letter to the Corinthians. It was a very emphatic and many times very emotional letter. And it was needed to be heard by the Corinthian Christians back then. It needs to be heard and studied and applied even by you and me today. So just before we go, for example, last Sunday, Pastor Peter talked about resolving conflicts God's way. The operative phrase is God's way. Because there are many ways of resolving conflict. But he taught us how, according to the Bible, conflict should be resolved among believers God's way so that it's different from the way the world resolves conflicts. During Paul's time in Corinth, what would happen is that the, 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 these um, court cases would be heard in public. The judge would sit and then people would come and it would be like a form of entertainment. And so you can imagine the shame it would bring to the name of Jesus when, as the people gather around in the marketplace or wherever it is that they're having the the, the hearing, when they see two or more Christians who are fighting it out in what they would call a small claims court, the equivalent of that in the 21st century. It would bring shame and dishonor to the name of Christ. And that's why Paul was so emphatic, don't sue each other if you are believers, over, especially over small things. So are we painting a contrast for the rest of the world? Now, today, our subject is also about conflict. But it's not a conflict between or among people. It's a conflict inside of us. It's a conflict that we must, through the power of God's Spirit, be victorious over and conquer. Otherwise, it will, it can threaten to haunt us. It can destroy our lives. And it will certainly negatively impact our walk with Jesus. What conflict is that? 
we will know in a moment. In the meantime, I want to show you a few items which are ridiculously expensive. You know, when I was browsing in the internet, preparing for this message, I came across a few ridiculously expensive items. And when I saw the pictures of these ridiculously expensive items, one of the first questions that came into my mind was, who owns these things? Who would buy them? Who would have enough money to acquire them? But bottom line is, who owns them? Right? For example, here. This is a crystal piano worth supposedly over $3 million. Who would own such a thing? I don't know. I wouldn't want to see that over here. People will question, why is CCF having something so expensive? Or maybe something like this. Let's say this morning, as you were parking your car or your motorcycle in the basement of CCF, you saw this car drive up and park in one of the slots. A gold-plated Bugatti. You like? (laughs) Of course, when you see this car, your question is, whose car is that? Who owns that car? And then you see me coming out of the car. Oh, wait, wait, wait. From the passenger seat. Because I only hitched a ride. To get a feel what it's like to sit in a gold-plated car. Okay, well, let's talk about a house. Okay, You like a ridiculously expensive house? This house, well, you might not think it's a house, but it is. It's a place of residence. This is this cost $1 billion. It's owned by a multi-billionaire in India. It has 34 floors. It, ha- it can withstand magnitude 8.0 earthquake. It has three helipads and parking for 160 cars. Maybe one of them is the gold-plated Bugatti. I really don't know. But folks, we're not talking about these ridiculously expensive things. Let's talk about you and me. How many of you, before you came to CCF, you looked in the mirror today? How many of you looked in the mirror? Yeah? Maybe even when you went to the CR, right? Just before you go out, you see the mirror and then... You know, I don't know what you do when you look in the mirror, but maybe maybe you did what this guy did, right? You're looking in the mirror. So, remember the question? When you look in the mirror, did you ever ask, Who owns that? Who owns that person in the mirror? I would think we would probably never ask that question. Maybe we'll ask, who's better looking than that? But maybe we won't ask, who owns that? So folks, the question, which is the title of today's message, is this. Who owns your body? You know why this question is so important? Because what you and I believe to be the true answer, what you and I believe to be the true answer to this question will shape how we will live the rest of our lives. Remember, Pastor Peter would always remind us, thinking will impact emotions, ultimately action. Or to shorten it, Perspective will determine behavior. 
your answer and mine to this seemingly simple question will dictate the trajectory of the rest of our lives. And our answer to this question will determine whether when we get to the end of our lives, we will look back with satisfaction, joy, and peace, or we will look back with much regret, hoping that we could turn the clock back and start all over again. So what's the question today? Who owns your body? Can you ask the person next to you? Who owns your body? Hey, don't even bother answering yet. We will discover the answer together. But here's a clue. Psalm 24 verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and all it contains. Now you might say, of course, the mountains, the trees. Oh, wait. The world and what? Those who dwell in it. Now, unless you are a guest here today from another planet. By the way, you can go to the Welcome Center if you're from another planet. But as far as I know, all of us are people who dwell in this world. What does the Bible say? We are the Lord's. By virtue of creation, just like the mountains and the trees and everything else, by virtue of His having created you and me, we belong to Him. But I don't want to oversimplify things. I want us to understand the point that the Apostle Paul was putting across to the people back in Corinth almost 2,000 years ago and how it applies to you and to me today. Okay? So, three things, at least three things you and I can learn about this question, who owns your body? We know God created us. By virtue of that, He owns us. But... What is it about our body that Paul is trying to tell us, or the Holy Spirit through Paul is telling us today? Three things. Your body, my body, has an amazing purpose from God. And that purpose is to honor Christ. Our body has been given a tremendous privilege. If you are a follower of Jesus, then we are joined to Christ. In spirit and body, we belong to Him. And finally, our body is precious. How do we know? Because we have been bought by Christ. Now, I know it's difficult to remember things that we hear on a Sunday. And oftentimes we'll say, oh, that message last Sunday was good. What was it about? Oh, it was about the Bible. (laughs) We don't really remember. So maybe this will help. Okay? So, our body has been given an amazing purpose by God. And that purpose, will you do this with me? Is to honor Christ. We did that earlier while we were singing. We can do it even without singing, right? Because that's the purpose of our physical body. Don't put your hands down yet. I still have my arms up. You, makisama naman kayo. To honor Christ. That's our purpose in everything we do. Not just on Sunday, not just when we sing. Are you tired already? I hope not. The privilege is that we are joined to Christ. And the preciousness of our body is because we have been bought by Christ. Our purpose is to honor Christ. Our privilege is to be joined to Christ. And the fact we're precious is because we're bought by Christ. And if you haven't done your morning exercise yet, you can do this faster over and over again. And you'll be taking better care of your body. Hallelujah. Amen. Yes. (laughs) 
So let's now go to what Paul was saying. Verse 12. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Okay, a couple of things. The word profitable here in some of your Bible translations also says beneficial. So the meaning is helpful or good for me. The word mastered means to be dominated or to become a slave of. So, But what in the world was Paul saying? Well, you know, Paul, he's, he's really a smart guy. Plus, he has the Holy Spirit. So he was building a case about something, this whole issue about moral purity in our physical body. How was he building that case? In many Bible translations, this sentence here, all things are lawful for me, are in quotation marks. Because apparently, these were slogans, if you will, or sayings that were popular back in Corinth and which probably even the Corinthian believers may have been using to justify certain actions on their part. Okay, for example, all things are lawful for me. So in other words, it's like Paul saying, you say all things are lawful for me, but I'm telling you not all things are profitable or beneficial. Remember Jesus was saying in the Gospels, you have heard it said, blank, 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 but I say to you, it's something like that. So Paul is saying, okay, you say all things are lawful for me. That's true. In terms of food, for example, we know Jesus declared all foods clean, right? But the apostle Paul is saying, but not all things are beneficial or profitable. Okay, I don't know if you've had breakfast already this morning, but imagine in your mind, okay? Imagine for a moment. Oven-baked pork belly. You get this? Oven-baked pork belly. What do you want to go with it? Garlic rice? Okay, folks. You want to eat pork belly? No problem. I will join you. I'll eat a little. But you and I need to realize not all things are profitable. Not all things are beneficial. No problem. You go ahead. I, you know, no problem at all. No issue. And then the Apostle Paul says, Yeah, okay, you say all things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Okay. How many of you here, you watch Netflix or some other streaming service or you watch YouTube? Okay, who? God is watching you. Okay. Thank you. No problem. I was telling one of our brothers, <clears throat> on Netflix, they just came out with two of my favorite World War II series, Band of Brothers and The Pacific. I have not watched them yet. I will watch them after today. Why did I not watch them last night or whatever? Because I don't want to stay up late. Because Paul said, yeah, all things are lawful, but I will not be mastered by anything. So my friends, if you like watching Netflix, no problem. But don't be mastered by it. You understand what I'm saying? Especially on a Saturday night, you know Sunday morning is coming. Don't say, one more episode. It's so exciting, I can't stop. Once you start saying that, what you are now being mastered by something. Are we clear? 
But what does this have to do with our topic? Remember, Paul is building a case. Now he goes for the actual thing that he's talking about. Another saying, okay, another saying. Okay, you say, food is for the stomach and the stomach is for food. Okay, but I'm telling you, Paul says, God will do away with both of them. In other words, do not have such a selfish, short-term perspective. And then he makes his real case. He says, yet the body is not for immorality. What does that have to do with food? Okay, I'll tell you in a while. The body is not for immorality, but for the Lord. The body is for the Lord. Remember, what's our purpose? Who? Come on. To honor Christ. Our body is for the Lord, to honor Him. That's why we lift up our hands in praise. That's why we sing. But that's also why we are holy in our behavior, to honor Him. Anyway, so he's saying, the body is not for immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. What's the connection with the food and the stomach? Ah, see, Paul is very wise. He knows that many of the Corinthians, even the believers, were following this kind of argument. Okay, so just listen carefully. God created you and me with certain needs, desires, right? And he also equipped us with the ability to have those desires and needs satisfied. For example, you get hungry, you go to the cafeteria, you eat, you're satisfied, right? So food for the stomach, the stomach for food. But Paul is saying for the body as a whole... And when it comes to the issue of sexual purity, he says the body is not for immorality. In other words, do not equate our ability to satisfy our hunger with our with the ability to satisfy our desire for sexual pleasure. They are not in the same category. The problem in Corinth was that sexual pleasure, prostitution, etc., it was so available acceptable, affordable. It was even part of their idolatrous worship experience. So, you know, it's like going to a coffee shop and getting a cup of latte or something like that. And so Paul is saying, "Uh -uh, uh-uh, they're not the same thing. I'm telling you, he says, our body is not for immorality, but it is for the Lord. What does it have to do with honoring Christ? Folks, almost 39 years ago, I stood with my bride in front of the altar and we exchanged vows. And one of the ways by which I honored my bride was to give myself to her and to say, I no longer belong to myself. I'm yours. And that includes my physical body. That is part of honoring her. And part of her honoring me. And that's why he says, the body is for the Lord. We belong to him. Therefore, our purpose in life should be to honor Jesus Christ. And then he says, the Lord is for the body. He's just reminding you and me how much God loves us. How much he cares for us. How much he has an amazing plan for our present and for our future, and for our eternity. Do you realize God has an amazing plan for your body? He has an amazing, out-of-this-world 
plan for your body and mind. Okay, what do I mean? The apostle takes, the apostle Paul takes it one step further. He says, now God has not only raised the Lord, meaning the resurrection, we sang about that this morning, but will also raise up, raise us up through his power. In the same way he raised Jesus and gave him a glorified supernatural body, you and I will eventually have the same thing one of these days. Now, why is that important? Well, for one thing, some of you may be here this morning, and honestly, you're not very happy about your body. And maybe it's not about appearance. Maybe it is, maybe it's not. But maybe it's more about you have medical issues. You have physical challenges. You know, my late wife had many, many medical, physical challenges. In one visit to the doctor, the doctor told her, you know what your problem is? Your body is made in, then he mentioned a country, but I won't mention it here because this is being recorded. But you know what I'm saying? That's the problem with your body. It's made in blank. And you know, she had to accept that. We both had to accept it. But between us and the Lord, we knew that someday the Lord will give her what? A supernatural, glorious, resurrected body. Amen? And that's what you and I look for. Are you looking forward to that? Now, you, I don't care how good you look today, but you and I will look infinitely better in our glorious bodies. Hallelujah. I can't wait for that day. Yeah. How many of you in this room are dual citizens? You have two citizenships. Dual citizen? Anybody? Anybody in this room? Dual citizen? Okay, we have a few. <laughs> Remember what I said earlier. Perspective. How important it is. Can I show you something? Philippians 3.20. For our citizenship is... Oh, again. Our citizenship is what? In heaven. Wow. From which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, I will ask you again. How many in this room are dual citizens? Oh, you see? We are Filipino or whatever it is that we are, but we are also citizens of where? Praise God. And what does that mean if you are a citizen of heaven? Who will trans, we eagerly await Christ who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory. See, I'm not making this up. When I say, or when we say that we will have bodies like the resurrected body of Jesus, the Bible says it. Isn't that amazing? And it says, by the exertion of the power that He has even to subject all things to Himself. Now I know in this room, how many of you are triple citizen? Ayan, mga senior, like me, triple, triple citizen, praise God. But the most important citizenship is citizen of heaven, praise God. Tell the person next to you, you are a citizen of heaven. One of my grandchildren, my, my oldest granddaughter, she's nine and a half, very smart. She asked me over a video call, Lolo, how old will we be when we have these glorified bodies in heaven? And I said, uh, I have to phone a friend. <laughs> Actually, we don't know. But I, I heard someone give an answer to the same question. He said, of course, this is just a, an opinion, okay? It's a nice 
thing to think about. He said, but if our glorious body will be like that of Jesus, and he was around 33 when he went back to heaven, then maybe I will be 33 years old, I told her. I will be happy to be 33 again. Now, some of you in this room or some of you watching online, you may be very, very young and you say, Ew, 33, that's ancient. I don't like. Anyway, we will just find out together when we get there. Okay? So we will see all of you citizens in heaven in our ultimate destination. But in the meantime, what does this have to do with moral purity or the issue of sexual immorality here on earth in this body that we have? The Apostle Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, He said, this is the will of God, your sanctification, meaning being set apart. This is the will of God, your sanctification. Then he explains, that is, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel, which is the body, in sanctification and honor. By the way, when we remain morally pure, we're honoring Christ. We're also honoring ourselves, the body he gave us. Okay? Not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. You look at the implication of that last statement. If you are a professing follower of Jesus and yet you are indulging in sexual immorality. Oh, by the way, we're talking about the body. Are our eyes the part of a part of our body? Yes. Our brain, are they a part of our body? Yes. Okay, that's why Jesus said, if you look at a woman with lust in your yeah, with your eyes, you commit adultery in your heart. So folks, please, do not ever deceive yourself and say, oh, I'm only indulging in pornography. It doesn't affect anybody. Really? Well, it will affect you. And if you don't stop, it will eventually affect others. Anyway, we don't have time to get into the details, but we'll learn more later. Anyway, he says... This is the will of God. You know, a lot of people ask, what is the will of God for my life? Should I marry this person? Should I work in this company? Uh, Nothing wrong with those questions. But the most important thing is, you and I need to search the scriptures so that we know what is clearly the will of God. The non-negotiables, such as the will of God, your sanctification. You and I need to master what the Master has given us to be the minimum benchmarks of our lives. One of them is sexual purity. Are we clear so far? Now, are we clear so far? Okay. What does this have to do? Why is the Apostle Paul writing this to these people? Well, again, he says, don't have a short-term mindset about your physical body because God has an amazing long-term plan. And he says, someday... The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God. I believe this is literal. Now, you and I can debate, but I don't think this is poetic language. I believe someday there will be a shout, there will be the archangel, the voice, and there will be a trumpet call. Are you excited? The trumpet call of God. Meaning to say, pack up your earthly tent and march to heaven. And it says, then the dead in Christ will rise first. So there is, there is a, you know, by batch, two batches. Number one, those who already died, but they died with faith in Jesus, they will rise and go to be with him. And then we who are alive and remain 
will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. And that means with our resurrected bodies. What we practice on earth, which is our purpose to honor Christ, we will do that for the rest of eternity. So while we are on earth, what is our purpose? To Yes, to honor Christ. So let's do that now because that is what we'll be doing in heaven forever. Okay. Closing prayer na. We know our purpose. But wait, there's more. Our purpose is to honor Christ. Our privilege, the Apostle Paul says, is that we are joined to Christ. Why is that significant? Why should that impact our lives for the rest of our days? Well, first of all, let's read a little bit of what the Bible says about our body. Okay, Psalm 139, one of my favorite Psalms. You formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. You know, the the word formed here means uh, ownership by acquisition because of him being the creator. Just like what we read in Psalm 24 earlier. You formed me, therefore you own me. And then it says, you wove me. This is like, uh, I don't know if people still do cross-stitch. Or these things, but it, there's an intentionality and there is an intricacy. And it also implies this, that the formation of you and me in our mother's womb was not delegated to angels. It was not relegated to chance. It was done by God's own hand. We are his workmanship. We are his handiwork. We are his masterpiece. And you may wake up certain mornings and you don't feel like a masterpiece, but that's who we are. And then he says, I will give thanks to you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. The phrase fearfully and wonderfully made means, of course, we're amazing. Like I said, we're a masterpiece. But it also implies that there is nobody else like you. Nobody else like me. I saw a documentary a few weeks ago about identical quadruplets. Imagine, four identical girls born at the same time. The chances of that happening, if I recall correctly, is one in 64 million. So this father and mother, they had these four exactly identical daughters. But you know what? As they started to grow up, the personalities began to emerge. They are not the same person. They are four distinct individuals. Tell the person next to you, there is nobody like you. And then you tell the next person, one of you is enough. There is no one like you. And then he says, my frame was not hidden from you and I was made in secret and skillfully wrought. The, the, the picture of skillfully wrought is like a colorful tapestry. You know, and when, when we look into our human bodies, it, it's almost like a universe in itself. So amazing. And you can, of course, just Google how amazing our human body is. I won't spend time on that. Now, but why was Paul emphasizing this about being joined to Christ? Well, he said, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Now, when he uses the word member here, this is not like membership shopping, right? Or networking. No. Member here means a part of the body. 
Now, I'm an insurance person in my corporate days. And when a person loses an arm or a leg or a foot by accident, we call that accidental dismemberment. Because member means a part of the body. And so he says, don't you know that you are, that your bodies, your physical bodies are members of Christ? You are a part of His body. Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Remember I told you, sexual pleasure in Corinth was just like buying a cup of coffee. And they were, you know, rationalizing. Oh, I'm just satisfying a need. So he said, shall I take these members and unite them and make them members of a prostitute? May it never be. What was the Apostle Paul trying to communicate? What is the big deal about physical intimacy? Folks, physical intimacy was created by God for a special purpose, a special experience. But it was created by him exclusively for a biological man and a biological woman who are married to each other. Are we clear about that? No other scenario can be used or can, does, no other scenario applies to the enjoyment of such physical and sexual pleasure. Because there's more to it than just the union of physical bodies. There's a union of the, of the emotions. There's a union of the soul. There's so much mystery in that encounter that God created. It is so special. It is reserved only for husband and wife. And as a matter of fact, it is so special that it is the best way we can describe or create a parallel to the kind of intimate relationship God wants to have with us. It is special. It is personal. And we'll learn more about that as we go along. The Apostle Paul said, Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says, and now he's quoting all the way from the Old Testament book of Genesis. He says, the two shall become one flesh. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. So folks, you and I have the privilege of being joined to Christ. That's a very special relationship. We have no business tarnishing, compromising dishonoring that relationship through sexual immorality. Because God created that sexual encounter for a very special purpose. How do we know? Again, let's go back to the Old Testament. Now the man, this is Adam. Okay, So this is way back in the garden. Now the man, Adam, had relations with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth. This... These two English words, had relations, is one word in the Hebrew. It's yada. In some of your older Bibles, especially if you have King James, it says here, the man knew. K-N-E-W. The man knew his wife. And that's exactly what the phrase had relations means. Had relations to know, and not just know, not just know about, but to know very well, to know, to clearly understand, to discover, to investigate, and to also make yourself known. And, you know, it, it also implies the kind of relationship you and I have with the living God through His Son, Jesus Christ. Of course, God knows everything about us. But He also wants Himself to be known by you and me. And so we discover more about God as we read this Word. We discover more about ourselves as He convicts us of sin and begins to transform us day by day. 
It's a very special relationship. And that's why Paul is saying, "Uh uh-uh, no way you're going to waste that on people you shouldn't be having that relationship with. Here's a, a passage from another Old Testament book which we don't read very often. But this is God speaking to his people. He says, I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in loving kindness and in compassion. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness. Then you will know the Lord. Same word. In the Greek, it's ginosko, to know experientially. That's what that word means. That's what happens with a husband and wife. And that's what happens when we join ourselves to Christ. We get to know him experientially. And that's why the Apostle Paul wrote to the same group in his second letter. He said, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. Because I betrothed you to one husband. Who is that? So that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. That's why in the Bible the imagery of the church, the people of God, and Jesus Christ is the imagery of a bride and the bridegroom. This is one of my favorite imageries throughout the Bible. The people of God are the the bride of Christ, and Christ is the bridegroom. Amazing. And folks, I know some of you are sitting here, some of you are watching, listening, And you're saying to yourself, I have messed up big time, many times. Is there hope for me? What do you think the answer is? Yes or no? Yes, for sure. And that's why we're talking about this message today. And that's why it's as important today as it was 2,000 years ago. But what will God have us do? Moving forward. This is what the Apostle Paul said. Flee immorality. That is the key. Don't rationalize. Don't make excuses. You flee. You get out. Flee immorality. By the way, the word immorality here, where we get the word porn, it means to sell off or to surrender your sexual purity. Don't sell it off. Don't surrender. Flee. In this case, running away is victory. Now, in war, sometimes running away is cowardice. But in this case, fleeing is victory. It says, every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. That is how deadly immorality is. Let me give an example. Before I came to Jesus, 37 years ago, 37 years ago, I did immoral things. Physically, I did immoral things in terms of being addicted to pornography. As I've said many times, my addiction to pornography started when I was between seven and eight years old. You know that's a long time ago. You know there was no internet back then, no cell phone, right? By the grace of God, as I've given him glory in the past, ever since I became a Christian, from the day I gave my life to Jesus... By his grace, by his power, I have not looked at pornography all of those years. I have been porn free by his grace. Praise God. But this is the point I want to make. You and I cannot let our guard down. Especially now. You know, my wife and I, we were married 36 and a half years. We had a 
Even in our senior years, you know what I mean? We would enjoy our intimacy. And now I'm by myself. So I need to be even more careful. Do you understand what I'm saying? Gentlemen, do you understand what I'm saying? How come the women are answering? No, you all understand what I'm saying, right? So, he says, every other sin, the immoral man sins against his own body. In other words, you do damage to yourself. And sometimes the damage is almost irreversible. Let me give an example. In my own case, praise God, I've been porn free for 37 years. But if I tried, which of course I don't want to do, if I tried, I know I can remember many of the pornographic images that I exposed myself to even 40, 50 years ago. I can remember many of the immoral things I did. Because God gifted us with a brain, with memory. But because I was into immorality before, I sinned against my own body. And these are the consequences I have to live with. And that's why I cannot put my guard down. So, will you pray for me? Well, we all pray for each other. Is that okay? Let me give you a couple of examples about fleeing immorality from the Bible. Here's the example of David. Description. Jesse, the father, sent and brought David in. Now he was ruddy with beautiful eyes and a handsome appearance. Oh, pogi. Why am I putting this here? I just want to make sure we don't have any excuse by saying, I cannot help but get into trouble because I'm so good looking. <clears throat> Wrong answer. Okay, let's see. Temptation. Now when evening came, David arose from his bed and walked around on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful in appearance. Okay, description. Temptation, action. God gifted David with a nice body, nice appearance. Okay, what did he do with it? Action. David sent messengers and took her. And when she came to him, he lay with her. Contrast. Joseph. Description. Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Temptation. It came about after these events that his master's wife looked with desire at Joseph and she said, lie with me. As she spoke to Joseph day after day, he did not listen to her to lie beside her or even be with her. Action. But he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, with me here, my master has withheld nothing from me except you. How then could I do this great evil and sin against God? She caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. It's like, this is your last chance, Joseph. Take it or leave it. He left it. Because he knew the principle even before the Apostle Paul. Flee immorality. He left his garment in her hand and fled. You know, there's this amazing quotation by Paul Tripp. He said, when seduced by Potiphar's wife, Joseph would not give in. Why? Genesis 39 tells us clearly what motivated Joseph at this critical choice point in his life. You and I will have many critical choice points. To do or not to do. To fall or not to fall. To give in or not to give in. Why did he, why, why did he choose what he did? You see, he was able to resist because of the deep heart devotion he had to his Lord. His heart was not ruled by horizontal pleasure, but by vertical worship. Praise God for the example of Joseph. You want to clap? Yeah. Reminds me of a, one of our D members of our D group. This happened 
decades ago. He was very young. He was already married. He was working in the U.S. His wife and children were back in the Philippines. So, you know, the temptations can be strong. Anyway, he worked in a particular place. And he was a very trusted person. He had like the keys to the cash register. And he had access to the vault. And then there was this young lady. This was in the U.S., huh? There's this young young American lady who was applying for a job. And she knew that this guy, our member, well, he's our member now. He was not yet our member then, but he was already a Christian. She knew that he would be one of the decision makers who would decide whether she get the job or not. So that day, our brother was in his, you know, by his table in the vault because he was doing some work. So the vault is obviously not a big place, enclosed. In walks this young attractive, blonde girl, and begins to undress herself in front of him. What did he do? I'll tell you next week. No, no, I'll tell you now. He saw the CCTV. And it's not because he didn't want to get caught. When he looked up at the CCTV, it was like God's reminder. Lord, you see everything I do. And so he said, I'm not going to do this, Lord. I love you. And then he also remembered, the Bible says, God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear, but with the temptation, he will provide a way of escape so that you may bear up under it. He remembered at the bottom of his table, there is an emergency button. The moment he presses that button, the security people will come in. So as this girl was taking her clothes off, he pressed the button, the security came and took her away. So he was not the one who... What's the past tense of flee? Flu? Anyway, he was not the one, you know what I'm saying, but he did what he needed to do to get away from temptation. Now let me share with you a few practical things from different sources, including my own experience. Practical steps to moral purity. Okay, number one, make up your mind to keep your body, including your mind, pure and holy. You have to make that decision from day one. You cannot make it right then when you're tempted. You have to make that decision now, every day. Always pray to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Do not take your phone gadget into the bathroom. Keep accountable with your D-group. Use software and other means to help. Know when and where you are most tempted so you can either avoid these situations or pray and prepare yourself. Somebody shared with me a few days ago, just earlier this week. He confessed to me. He said, I am most tempted to look at pornography when I am very stressed, when I'm alone in my room, uh, late at night. So he knows. So obviously now he can do something about it to be better prepared or to simply flee the situation. Now, do not watch anything. This is my personal practice. Do not watch anything. Oh, you, those, those who raise their hands about Netflix. Don't watch anything described as containing sex or nudity. You look at the rating. For me, when it says 18 plus, sometimes I don't even bother. And But even if it's lower, if I see sex, nudity, I don't watch. I don't want to fool around, especially now that I'm alone. Avoid the second look. Do you understand what I'm saying? Avoid the second look. Now, sometimes you're, you know, you just, you just get attracted because it's like, wow, okay. So first look. But the second look, ah, that's different. That's why they said, make the first look last a long time. <laughs> no, 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 no. Okay. Please don't tell people, you know what I learned at church this morning? No, no. That's what they say. That's not what I said. So avoid the second look. Do not be alone with someone of the opposite sex or the same sex if this is your struggle. 
in a room, alone in a car, etc. Stay faithful with your quiet time, D-group, attendance, and worship. And if you fail, remember we asked, is there hope or not? Yes. If you fail, repent and confess to God and to your accountability partner and pray for the filling of the Holy Spirit. I hope this helps you. But we have one more thing to talk about. We said the purpose of our body is to honor Christ. Our privilege is to be joined to Christ. But we are precious because we were bought by Christ. Okay, so as we come to the last part, last two verses. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God that you are not, and that you are not your own? Your body is, you know, we, if you've been to church a long time, you hear this a lot. The body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. So what? What does this have to do with our being precious? What does this have to do with our being bought by Christ? So let's go to the Old Testament and review. Before the temple was built, this is what David said. King David. He said, my son Solomon, uh, whom God alone has chosen, is still young and inexperienced. Remember, God told David, you will not build the temple. It will be your son Solomon. But David is saying, he's still young and inexperienced. Now, he says, the temple is not for man, but for the Lord God. It's like this temple. This is not for ourselves, for our own pleasure. This temple is for God, right? So it's consistent, Old and New Testament. Then he's saying, with all my ability, I provided for the house of my God. He provided gold, silver, bronze, iron, onyx, wood, uh, antimony, various colors, precious stones, bling bling. Well, you don't see that in the Bible, but you know what I'm saying. Then Then he goes on to say, in my delight, over and above, I have given gold and silver to the house of my God, uh, 3,000 talents of gold, of of fear, very special kind of gold, refined silver to overlay the buildings, uh, gold for the things of gold, silver for the things of silver, and and all of these amazing things. In other words, somebody um, back in a 2019 commentary said, if you were to estimate the cost of all of these materials given by David, only the materials given by David, 20 billion U.S. dollars. That's how precious that temple was. And then, of course, I I showed this to you like a month ago. The actual temple, the actual building cost, you know, labor, etc., maybe not even including other donations, would have cost something like three to six billion dollars as well. It was a magnificent site. There was nothing on earth like the temple that God had Solomon build. But is it really about the physical temple? Well, how does that apply to us? When we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. What happened, and again I shared this with you a month ago. What, what happened during the dedication of the temple? When Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering. And the glory of the Lord filled the house. The Shekinah glory. The blinding, the unapproachable, the indescribable light of God was in the place. The priest could not enter because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. All the sons of Israel, seeing the glory of the Lord, bowed down the pavement with their faces to the ground, and they worshipped and gave praise to the Lord. Do you notice what's repeated? The glory of the Lord. The shining light of God. What does this mean to you and to me today? What does it mean to be a temple of of God today? Well, remember the light of God? Jesus said, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Specifically to today's topic, sexual purity, who owns your body. But like the Holy One who called you, 
Be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, because I am holy. And that's why the Apostle Paul said, as he finished uh, his letter to the Corinthians, he said, For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. We are precious because we have been bought by Christ. Let the light of Christ shine through us. As we close, I want us to listen to a testimony from our dear sister Joyce Amonoy. Joyce, will you uh, come and share your story with us? Pay careful. Let's welcome her. Let's encourage her. And let's learn from her experience. Go ahead, Joyce. I am the second of four children. When I was around six years old, I was sexually taken advantage of, but I had no idea that what was done to me was wrong. I simply followed the lead of my offender and believed his lie that I was made for sexual pleasure. This started my double life of feeding my lust with adult reading materials and pornography while being religious and excelling academically for my family. When I was in fourth grade, my mother was diagnosed with breast cancer. Believing that I should please God so he would heal her, I strived to be religious and excellent in school while I continued with my secret lusts. I continued building this good girl image until college. It was then when I heard the gospel and participated in my first accountability group and Christian retreat for the first time. However, I rejected the idea of a transformed life, so I eventually stopped showing up. In that same year, my mother passed away and our father left us. I lost all sense of direction, having lived my whole life just to make my parents proud. To fill the emptiness inside, I got into a sexually immoral relationship. I was trapped in the lie that I needed to do certain things in order to be loved. I lived for sex, drinking, smoking, and partying, all the while ensuring that my grades were okay and that I continued to go to church. My lifestyle of going with the flow, pleasing people, and striving to prove myself made me lost, insecure, tired, and angry. One day... I decided to end my immoral relationship. It was after that when I was invited to attend CCF services. In one of the worship services around February 2012, I prayed to accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. But again, I continued with my lusts and sexual immorality even as I went to church. This went on for three years. In the office, God allowed me to be part of a team at work who organized and facilitated Bible study meetings. I witnessed how he transformed the lives of my office mates. I remember crying out to God during CCF's prayer and fasting week to also give me what the attendees and my co-workers had that I clearly did not. I then joined a discipleship group, underwent Bible study classes or GLC1, and volunteered in various ministries. A few months later, 
I felt that God was prompting me to break up with the boyfriend I had at that time. But I did not want to let him go. In my disobedience, my heart slowly became calloused. Sinful thoughts flooded my mind more intensely than before, and I indulged in sexual immorality with various men, while continuing to attend my D-group and serving in ministry. I thought I was doing okay since I never missed any of the practices that I thought pleased the Lord. Slowly, my secret sins drained the life out of me until God prompted me to finally be accountable to my D-group leader in 2016. The period of restoration was not easy. I broke up with my boyfriend, distanced myself from men, and stepped down from ministry. I participated in Glorious Hope, a program which aims to liberate people from the bondage of destructive habits, hang-ups, hurts, and through the Lord, uh, through our Lord Jesus Christ. I confessed all that I have done to God and to the ladies in my D group. My walk with the Lord has not been perfect, but I have learned to surrender and grow in humility as my D group mates prayed for me, rebuked me when needed, and inspired me to keep loving the Lord through their example. In 2017, I publicly recommitted my life to Christ at a true life retreat. By God's grace, I am now leading a group of Christ-committed ladies and have seen His kingdom expand through their lives to other parts of the country and the world. God has also allowed me to join and lead various Bible studies, work for Jesus at a Christian company, share the gospel, counsel other women, and continuously minister to and share his love to my family, friends, and online. Best of all, I have learned to do all these things because Jesus is my master and my owner, and I serve him humbly, enjoying the freedom he has graciously purchased for me. I am Joyce Amonoy, formerly trapped in a double life of sin and self-reliance, now living free for the singular goal of glorifying God in sharing Jesus. To Him be the highest praise. Praise God. Joyce, I'm, of course, my heart is pained when I think about the roller coaster ride you went through. But as you can see, folks, the devil seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. But that sentence does not end there. Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. And that's what Joyce is living today because of Jesus. <laughs> shall we pray for her? And by the way, this is her D-group leader, Krishna. Well, shall we raise our hands of blessing and pray for both of them? Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have raised up in Joyce and her D-group leader, Krishna, two young ladies who love you with all their heart. And now, Lord, we pray for your uh, even greater protection and blessing upon them because we know that the public testimony of your grace in Joyce's life uh, will be a blessing to so many people. And we pray it, you will use it to convict and to draw people out from the darkness they're in, even this day, into your marvelous and glorious light. 
But we also pray for protection for both of them, that you will expand the borders of their influence, and that you will keep them holy and pure from this day until the day they see you face to face. Let them honor you with their lives here on earth, that they may honor and worship you for the rest of eternity. We bless them now in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen and Amen. Thank you very much. As we close, as we said earlier, some of you may feel you've messed up. You're already a professing Christian, but you know, you're saying, I've messed up so bad, I've brought shame to the name of Jesus. You know what? Today can be that day of a U-turn in your life. There's an old book, I remember, God Allows U-Turns. Today you can make your U-turn. One day Joyce made her U-turn by the grace of God. Romans 12.1 says, I urge you, brethren, remember, this is addressed to believers. I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, meaning because of all of the tremendous mercy God has in you, He, He had on you, He purchased you through the blood of His Son. What is He wanting you to do? Present your bodies. You can do that today. You can come to him and say, Lord Jesus, I'm yours. I have done awful things with this body, including my eyes, including my mind. But today I present it to you. I know I prayed to receive you as my Lord and Savior before. I know you began a transforming work in my life. But Lord, I want to confess. I want to come clean. I want to start over. Some of you may be wanting to do that. Now some of you have not ever even taken the first step into entering or entering into a relationship with Jesus. Can I show you what Jesus did? You know, we're talking today about our body. Once upon a time, 2,000 years ago, Jesus, the King of Heaven, took on the form of man. Why did he do that? In the book of Hebrews, this is the last verse we'll read before we pray. This is Jesus speaking. It says, therefore, when he comes, he, Jesus, comes into the world, he says to the Father, sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. Jesus took on human form, still was 100% God, but he took on a human body. And he says, in whole birth offering sacrifices for for sin, you have not taken pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book, it is written of me. To what? To do your will. That's why Jesus prayed in the garden. Father, if you're willing, let this cup pass from me. This pain of bearing the sin of the world, it is unbearable. Yet not my will, but yours be done. And because of Jesus, it says here, by this will, remember it says, to do your will, O Lord. And by this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. He is the example we follow. When Jesus, the King of heaven and the creator of all things, took on human form, he devoted his body to the purpose of God the Father. You and I should do the same thing. This is your chance. Don't let it pass. Let's pray. And if you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus, then tell him now, Lord Jesus, I'm giving myself to you.
I'm believing in you and I'm clinging to you as my Lord and my Savior, the only source of forgiveness and transformation in my life. And if you have been a follower of Jesus for some time, but you've blown it, you've done immoral things, like in the case of Joyce, make your U-turn today and say, Lord, in a fresh and new way, I devote my body to you because of the mercy that I know you had on me. I give myself to you afresh. Lord Jesus, we pray your blessing upon your people, your protection upon your church, that in all things we do, in thought, word, and deed, we may honor you because we are joined to you and because you have purchased us with your blood. Bless us and dismiss us now, O Lord, that your light may shine through us, not so that people will admire who we are, but so that they will see your glory in us and be attracted to you. This is our prayer in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen and Amen. God bless you all. CCF family, welcome to Sunday Fast Track, where you ask real-life questions and we give you biblical truths. My name is Jaira De Jose from the Women to Women Ministry. We're here today with our speaker, Pastor Ricky, to answer some of your questions. Hi, Pastor Ricky. Hello. It's a common sentiment these days that in order to test a couple's compatibility or to increase the chances of a successful marriage, Couples try living in with each other or cohabiting as well as exploring their sexual compatibility. What does the Bible have to say about this commonly given advice? Oh, okay. The Bible is very simple. The answer is no. Now, look at the mistaken assumption. One of the things people think or one of their purposes for exploring uh, each other before marriage is to check out their compatibility specifically even their sexual compatibility. But you know what? In so doing, the Bible says, we will be giving up something that is supposed to be reserved only for between a husband and wife. And so what happens if your experiment fails? Then you live with regret. On the other hand, even if you end up marrying each other, then you look back, you know, and you're, especially when you come to know Jesus, then you'll say, you know, we shouldn't have done what we did, but it's too late to go back and do it over again. So just stick to God's design. That's that's my advice. I mean, and, and you know what? I, I have practical advice. CCF has an amazing premarital counseling course. And if you guys are even thinking or even just entertaining remotely in your mind the the thought of getting married someday to a particular person, my advice is you attend CCF's premarital counseling course. It's offered by our pastoral care department. Why am I so emphatic about that? Because before you guys schedule any dates, make any commitments, start ordering whatever gown or whatever it is, or inviting guests, even before you come, way before you go through the premarital counseling course, because there you will be taken into a preview of the reality of married life. You'll talk about money. You'll talk about communication. You'll talk about what's your view about sex. You'll be forced to look at these things, which normally you would not do as boyfriend and girlfriend because you're just so busy going to the movies and having dinner or lunch out. That's my advice. Wow, that's very practical advice, Pastor Ricky. So premarital counseling is not just for those who are engaged. Oh, right? 
No, even before you're engaged, way before. Yeah, <laughs> go great. through it. Great. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Ricky, for those biblical truths. And before we let you go, we'd like to invite all the women out there to the Women to Women Ministry. We are kicking off a brand new series on forgiveness called Forgiven. So forgive. Join us every Thursday at 10 a.m. here at the CCF Center or online via our Facebook and YouTube live streams. And for the singles out there, we didn't forget you. We invite you as well to the big singles retreat entitled Commit, happening on December 1, 2, and 3. Registration is now ongoing. And that's it for Sunday Fast Track. God bless you all. God bless. Bye-bye.